You know, Dad? That movie was pretty good after all. Can I be Zora when I grow up? Absolutely, son. We'll need to get you a bigger sword. Take that, you wicked tyrant! Dear. <laughs> oh, Martha, let him play. Thomas Wayne, when he has nightmares tonight, you can be the one to calm him down. Okay, that's <laughs> enough for now, Bruce. We'll start you on fencing lessons when you're older. Say, 30? <gasps> I'll take that necklace you're wearing, lady. Leave her alone! Thomas! I swear by the spirits of my parents to avenge their deaths by spending the rest of my life warring on all criminals. everybody. Welcome to the seventh episode of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Michael Bradley. And as always, the goal of this podcast is to cover everything Batman from the beginning. Uh, so each episode, we take a look at a month worth of Batman material, starting with his first appearance in Detective Comics number 27, released back in April of 1939. So this episode, we'll be examining Batman material from October of 1939, which consists once again of one comic book, Detective Comics number 33. And nothing happens in that book that you no. don't know about. No. Yeah, this is a really boring book. We're not going to have anything to talk about. Uh, but speaking of no- nothing to talk about, our uh, our shows have been on the web officially. The first two episodes have been up as of this recording. and Three episodes. Get- oh, three episodes. You're mm-hmm. right. Three whole episodes. And actually, we have over 100 downloads on the first episode already. Wow. I know. I'm pretty excited. So, uh, But also, we're getting some more emails. So we'd like to continue our tradition of reading those on, lo- or on the air. Uh, the first one we got is from Steve Rogers, who I think was the first guy to write us yes, uh, originally, correct? Yes, yeah. episode four, I think. Right. So he writes, uh, hey, Michael Squared, digging the first few episodes, always fun seeing how much or how little, in some aspects, long-running fictional characters have changed in their history. And it should be an interesting ride seeing how Detective Comics itself gets transformed from an anthology to a Bat-centric book. Yes, the same could be said for Action and the Big Blue Boy Scout. I think he's talking about Superman there. Uh, But since the Scout was in there since day one, it is more interesting to see the evolution featuring a character strip that debuted 27 issues into the title's run. The thing I do like, though, is the retconning of Gotham City being Slam Bradley's base of operations and his later appearances in Catwoman stories. 
This way you can retroactively suggest that every single issue of Detective Comics ever published has featured elements of the Batman universe in one form or another. Oh, again, you can say that with Superman in action, but it's more fun plugging in 26 issues of non-Batman-related issues into the Batman mythology, even if it's extremely loose. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. I didn't know that uh, Slam was considered a member of Gotham City. I didn't either. I, I knew at some point that Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, got retconned into Gotham. But... Yeah, I'd, I'd heard of that too. But yeah, so that's – I hey, I'm cool with that. Let's let's go with that. Detective has been a Gotham City book since the beginning. Um, so he continues. By the way, interesting recent example of this sort of making a book a bat title, even if it's just Gotham City as the setting, there was a short-lived horror-based series that came out a few years ago called Simon Dark. It didn't feature a single character from the Batman family or any other previous known character, but because it was produced under the DC imprint and it was based in the DC Universe's Gotham City, though again, no previous known character showed up, it was considered a Batman title and covered on the BatmanUniverse.net's comic review podcast. I also like the idea of tracking the instances where it is clear that the code against killing and handguns has yet to be added to the Batman mythos. Mythos. I do wonder at what point this was changed, and I really hope it wasn't when Batman was transformed into a more campy character that had more fantasy-based adventures in the late Golden and Silver Age stories. Till next time, same Legends of Batman. I'm sorry, same Legends of Bat Time, same Legends of Bat URL. Sorry, I just had to go there, Steve. That was so, a good email. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Once again. To uh, sort of answer his question about the code against killing. I don't know a specific issue, and I'm sure we'll find it as we go along here, but I do know that it was uh, Whitney Ellsworth that instituted that policy. Uh, he's the editor that takes over when Vin Sullivan leaves here, which is actually coming up really soon. We'll find it. Yep. As these characters get more and more popular, it just makes sense that they stop killing. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll just see as it happens. All right. Our next email is from Calvin Bowes, and he writes... You asked how in, I guess it was the third episode, we talked about a little bit um, how we felt about not knowing Batman's origin at that point. Right. So uh, Calvin wrote, you asked how people felt about not knowing the origin. When I grew up in the 60s, I watched the Batman TV show and would only get comics from time to time, which was not very often because we had to drive into town, which was where the only drugstore I could buy comics was, and they didn't always have Batman. But I was still a Batman fan. I was six at the time, and oh, excuse me. I was six at the time I started reading, and I didn't come across his origin until I was twelve when I was reading a comic called Secret Origins. Then I found out his parents were killed. Now, to be honest, not knowing never hampered my enjoyment. In fact, in some ways, it made him more mysterious. I'm now fifty years old, and me and my six-year-old daughter read Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman comics together. But she's smarter than me. She already knows that Joe Chill killed his mom and dad. <laughs> cool thank you calvin um unlike like we've said unlike you know characters that have superpowers for instance um where you kind of have to know you know why the flash can run at the mm -hmm. speed of light or why superman can pick a car up over his head you don't really need to know that with batman no um you just assume he's you know got really good skills and he can fight and right i personally like knowing why he does it but yeah, well, yeah. I, I guess you don't need to yeah and you and I are kind of the same age, and we grew up in an era where they were just starting to, uh, you know, talk about it more. But mm -hmm. you know, 
uh, when Calvin grew up in the '60s here, that was high camp era, and they wouldn't, you know. Right, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nice hearing a perspective from someone who uh, read comics before we did, and can kind of give us that that viewpoint. Absolutely. He still didn't come from the '40s though, so. No, we're still waiting for that guy. But. Still waiting for that guy. Okay, we have one more email again from Steve Rogers. So. Um, I guess if we ever get a fan club, Steve can be our president. <laughs> um, and he writes, Hey guys, just an interesting thought about the panel of Batman looking on while flames are supposedly engulfing Dr. Death. Well, it made me think of a scene in Watchmen where Rorschach is admiring his handiwork, watching the child killer's house go up in flames. Makes you wonder if Moore got the inspiration from that scene at the end of that old Batman story. Eh, just something to chew on, I guess, Steve. So thanks again, Steve. And yes. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I've read Watchmen once, but that was several years ago, so I really can't tell you anything about that scene. Well, I, I know what scene he's talking about, but uh, okay. I, you know, I've never heard more specify whether he got that from Detective Comics. But yeah, you never know. Never know. Um. Okay, so speaking of Doctor Death, let's talk about the monk a second again, because I uh, just can't let that go. Um, he was the villain. From the last two episodes we've been talking about, Mike and I weren't especially excited about those stories, unfortunately. But um, mostly because we were just confused by it. It seemed like we had a lot of, you know, what the questions. Yes. Uh, A lot of what the questions, yes. So from time to time I go to the library and just check out what they have comic-wise as far as trade paperbacks and stuff. And I came across the Essential Batman Encyclopedia and on a whim, just thought I'd look up some of these, you know, cast of characters we've been talking about. And I'd like to read the entry they have on the monk. Um, now, is this the, the the Batman encyclopedia that was released in the last few years, or? Yeah, it's got Jim Lee art on the cover. Okay, um, okay, so that's the the, let's the see. more up to date. I thought you had the one that was a reprint from like the '60s or whatever. No, this is 2008. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is what DC officially thinks of the monk. Um, it says, On Earth 2, the monk was a rare combination, a vampire-werewolf hybrid <laughs> who disguised himself under crimson robe and hood and took to building an army of vampiric supporters, including Bruce Wayne's fiance Julie Madison. After finding Madison in a trance, Wayne had her examined by her doctor, a man named Trent. He thought her problem was a result of hypnotism, but Wayne, tr- but Wayne's trained eye concluded that she and Trent was in the thrall of something worse. When the doctors suggested a European cruise, Madison agreed and was followed by Batman. She found her way to Paris to hung- from Paris to Hungary and to the monk's ancient castle. During their first confrontation, the monk managed to hypnotize Batman, but not long enough to impart suggestions. The two then fought to subdue each other and gain possession of Madison. The monk was aided when a variety of obstacles got in Batman's way, from an obedient ape to the enigmatic female worship, worshiper Dala. This raven-haired beauty tricked Batman into bringing her close to Madison, allowing Dala to abduct the woman and bring her to the monk. Batman traced Dala and Madison to the monk's castle, but was too late to prevent them from feasting on Madison's blood. He waited until sunlight forced them to sleep, then melted silver candlesticks into bullets and used them to end their threat. And So that's the end of the Earth 2 description. It then goes on to talk about an Earth 1 and a post-crisis option which we haven't covered yet but i just found it interesting that if you read it that way 
it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it doesn't sound so bad. So, huh. but I also noticed that they kind of, you know, fudge the history a little bit to make it yeah. cohesive. Yeah. But and they I, didn't. Ex- they still didn't explain how Batman was able to melt silver candlesticks. No. no. Yeah. But I like that the first line is, you know, he's just a Batman. He's a werewolf vampire. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There you go. That answered so many questions. But moving on to a much better issue. Yes. Detective Comics number 33. It was uh, cover date November 1939 and released sometime around October 10th of that year. It had the normal 10-cent price and 64-page count. The cover was by Bob Kane, and it shows Batman leaping off an overpass onto or into a moving car driven by two guys who are presumably of the evil thug variety. (laughs) Right. Weird cover. Yeah. There's something about it I don't just I just don't really like and I don't know what it is. Well, for one thing his cape is ridiculously huge. Well, yeah. And he's got a uh, holster on his belt. Mhm. I I I would have liked to seen something I mean, obviously something major is revealed in this issue. Yeah. So I would have liked to seen that promoted on the cover. But maybe I'm looking at that from a modern reader's perspective that where they you know, any little thing that is different, they promo it on the cover. Right. Where they actually care about plugging. Right. You know, an but idea. Maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't seem, think it was as historically significant as it was, too. I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe not, because it took them, you know, how many, seven issues to... Seven issues, yeah. To, to get around to telling us. Okay, so the story inside is called The Batman Wars Against the Dirigible of Doom. And it's 12 pages long. It was written – the first two pages were written by Bill Finger, and the rest of the story was written by Gardner Fox. The whole thing was penciled by Bob Kane, had inks by Bob Kane and Sheldon Moldoff, letters by Sheldon Moldoff, and was edited by Vin Sullivan. The Batman story starts off with a two-page sequence detailing the legend of Batman and how he came to be. For such a historic moment, instead of the normal synopsis – we're going to do something a little bit different. And so, for your listening pleasure, we present... Legends of the Batman Theater. Legend. The Batman and how he came to be. Some 15 years ago, Thomas Wayne, his wife, and son were walking home from a movie. What? What is this? A stick-up, buddy. I'll take that necklace you're wearing, lady. Leave her alone, you. Oh. You asked for it. Thomas, you've killed him. Help, police, help. This'll shut you up. <laughs> the boy's eyes are wide with terror and shock as the horrible scene is spread before him. Father, mother, dead. They're dead. Days later, a curious, strange scene takes place. And I swear, by the spirits of my parents, to avenge their death by spending the rest of my life warring on all criminals. As the years pass, Bruce Wayne prepares himself for a career. He becomes a master scientist, trains his body to physical perfection until he is able to perform amazing athletic feats. Dad's estate left me wealthy. I am ready. But first, I must have a disguise. 
Criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot, so my disguise must be able to strike terror into their hearts. I must be a creature of the night. Black. Terrible. A. A. As if in answer, a huge bat flies into the open window. A bat! That's it! It's an omen! I shall become a bat! And thus is born this weird figure of the dark, this avenger of evil, the Batman! So yeah, very classic uh, story that I've definitely read many times in various reprints. Um, I kind of found it a little jarring that, like the first uh, the first panel on this this two page origin is actually tied into this the rest of the story where Batman, you know, faces the blimp and um, usually it's a it's a big headshot um, as I think it later gets changed in Batman number one when they reprint this origin. Right, they take the splash page from the story we'll be covering next episode. Right, so actually, they, and they they splice it together. So that's what I'm used to seeing. And yeah, I think the very first one I saw had the Batman, like you talked about the Batman splash. Um, right. But I, when I finally read this one, I don't think I really even noticed because it had been so long since I saw that original one. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, it starts out 15 years ago, uh, and. It's hard to tell from the art, but Bruce looks, you know, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that means the Batman of the present is in his early to mid twenties, and we've had no indication so far of how old he is, other than what the art looks like. And given that, I would have placed him closer to thirty. Well, you know, when guys smoke pipes, they look older than they really. Are. <laughs> the tobacco is aging him. Yeah. But I guess it makes sense that he's, you know, in his twenties. Just be, as far as you know, the sliding timeline, right? It works better the younger you can start him out, mm-hmm. um, and also just from a physical point of view, right? You know, once I hit thirty, I could no longer crime fight. So, <laughs> yeah, it happens to the best of us. Right, right. But lots of uh, obviously first appearances here. We got uh, Thomas Wayne and uh, Mrs. Wayne. Mrs. Wayne, who will eventually be named Martha, but isn't in this story. Uh, we got uh, the the killer, who will someday uh-huh. someday be known as uh, Joe Chill, right? And we have a uh, young Bruce Wayne. I don't know if that counts as a first appearance or not, but it's his early it's his earliest chronological appearance so far. Right, first flashback, really, mm-hmm. that we've come across. As far as the killer, it doesn't really. You know who will someday be named Joe Chill, as we all know. It doesn't really. Obviously, this is only two pages, so it doesn't go into much. But um, you know, Joe Chill will be covered again and again, and um, sometimes he's caught, sometimes he's not caught, sometimes he's Joe Chill, sometimes he's just a random person. Yeah, it so, varies from continuity to continuity. Sometimes he's a conspiracy against the Waynes, so or you know, a uh, hired hitman. Mm-hmm. So, um, but here it just seems like you know a random stick up. Right, and I, I like – we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but I kind of like that it's just a totally random yeah. uh, stick-up. Absolutely. 
But I, I looked him up um, just out of curiosity. Um, and so, again, he's not named here, but eventually he'll be named Joe Chill, and he's given a name in uh, Batman number 47, which will come out in 1948. Um, and in Pre-Crisis, they have a story where Chill was a hitman that murdered the Waynes intentionally on orders from a mafia boss named Lou Moxon. Um, and then Batman reveals his identity to Chill, and Chill is killed after telling the underworld he's responsible for Batman's creation, which didn't go over well for obvious reasons. <laughs> I imagine. And I've never actually read that story, but I have heard that story. I think that's times. Batman 47, isn't it? Is it? I could, okay. I could be wrong. I guess we'll find out. But I know I know that's where uh, Chill is named, and I know that expands on the origin some, so we'll find out in a couple years, I guess. And so then come 1987, when everybody gets uh, post-crisis, it did, and um, in, I think it's Batman Year Two, Chill is murdered by a character named the Reaper before the Batman can you know, deal with him himself. The Reaper? The Reaper. I've read that one. Um, okay. Looks like a Reaper. And then uh, and that one was done by, uh, I want to say, I could be wrong now, but Alan Grant and Todd McFarlane. Hmm. Um, and then post-Zero Hour, 1994, uh, they specify that Batman never catches or confronts him, so there, there's a change in the universe. But then, of course, they change their mind again in 2006, post-Infinite Crisis. Jill is, Chill is caught and put in jail the same night of the murder. And then in 2008, they change their mind again, and I like to call this one post-Grant Morrison, where uh, Chill is a, ends up being a mid-level crime boss who is frightened by Batman Every night for a month, Batman eventually gives him the gun that murdered his parents, which has one bullet in it, and it's kind of left ambiguous as to whether Chill uses it or not. It's a very dark take. Right. Yeah. But, you know, he did kill his parents. Yeah. yeah so anyway. So they, they retconned it. They changed the continuity in 06 and then again in 08? Seems like it, yeah. Oh. All right. I don't know. Isn't was there another uh, you know crisis after Infinite Crisis that could have explained that? I don't know. Um, no, Finally. not any big uh, massive continuity changing thing. There was Final Crisis, but that really didn't have that didn't the, change uh, continuity. No. Or, oh, okay. Not, not that I'm aware of. Okay. But I like the panel on page two with Bruce kneeling, making his vow. Um, I just that to me is a very very iconic moment in the history of the character as much as you know peter parker catching the or uh, finding out that uncle ben's killer was the thief and uh you know superman ripping his shirt open it's just a very iconic moment for the character because yeah. this is the moment to me this is the moment when he becomes batman yeah absolutely Even if he won't get a costume for another 15 years right this is where the dedication starts mm -hmm. yeah and they haven't really showed that in any of the uh you know, movies or cartoons that I'm aware of. Except Batman Brave and the Bold, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did they... Gosh, it's been so long since I've seen Batman Begins. I, I know they showed the murder there. They showed uh, the murder and they showed him falling talking... into the, the cave. They showed him talking to... Or crying to Alfred that it's his fault. Oh, okay. But he doesn't... They don't have him vow anything. Hmm. At least as a kid. In fact, I don't even think that was his idea initially until... Because he was going to kill Joe Chill... Okay. And it's at that point that when that all goes wrong and, you know, um, 
his girlfriend to be slaps him in the face and tells him to wake up that that's when he decides to go off and do something different okay i really need to as painful as it's going to be i need to sit down and watch that <laughs> oh, that's again not that bad. so that i am uh prepped for the podcast here yeah uh, i like it but there are issues with it but i like it um so what do you think about the bat flying in the window I think as far as this panel goes, it looks pretty cheesy and it's, you know, pretty uh, convenient, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it it kind of reminds me of like one of those old school television episodes or something where you can actually see like the string on the bat <laughs> you know, being, yeah. being bobbed into the window. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the weakest part of the origin. Um, it eventually gets better, though. Yeah. Um, I like the way they take it on in year one. Or just um, they eventually establish that you know there's obviously there's a bat cave below, but there's bats on, on Wayne Manor, um, so it makes more sense that one would fly through the window, I guess. And that right. bat, they also establish eventually that Bruce Wayne is actually scared of bats, so so that makes it more power a more powerful scene. Right here, it's just a kind of random thing. I need something scary. What could it be? And then a, you know something scary pops in the window. Right. But then in the movie, the 1989 movie, he. Uh, well, maybe it wasn't that movie. Maybe it was the later one, the one with uh, Batman Forever, where he was. They established there that he was afraid of bats because he had fallen into the future Batcave, right? Right. Okay. And that that actually came from an '89 story called "The Man Who Falls" hmm. by um, Dennis O'Neill and Dick Giordano. Okay. And it was in a. Uh, it was published in a. In a trade paperback called Secret Origins, but it was an original story for that trade paperback. Oh wow! And that's where they get. That's pretty much where Batman Begins gets that whole idea of Bruce Wayne falling in and his dad rescuing him, and you know him hmm. being freaked out by bats because that's how the story starts. Is he he is remembering when he was a boy and he fell in and was Very scared cool. to death of bats. Very cool. Yeah, the story is actually really cool. If you no, know, if you haven't read it or you're out there listening and haven't read it, definitely look it up because there's a lot of like training information and what was what was it where was that published again that's a secret it's origins a, trade it's said? a trade paperback it's simply called secret origins and it's okay. a brian bowling cover i'll post it on the website but uh okay very cool story and another weak part to this two-page origin is that the very last uh panel is swiped from last issue or the issue before yeah pose. right so. it was um it was from Detective Comics number thirty-one, so okay. two issues two ago. Two issues ago. Yeah, and I think uh, I mentioned it getting... then too that I I saw it before somewhere. Right. I'm really growing accustomed to every few panels being a swipe from a previous issue, though, with Kane's art here. Yeah. But that's another topic. Right. Uh, from this origin, we still don't know how or by whom Bruce was raised. Nope. Uh, Alfred hasn't been introduced, and nope. I think it's generally accepted today that Alfred either adopted him or took him as a foster son, isn't it? Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be the first idea that we come across or if they have other options. I don't but, know either. I don't know. It would be interesting to find out. But, um, yeah, it's like Superman. No one knows who raised him right now, so I guess we don't need to know who raised Batman either. Right. Yeah, it was kind of similar. They they said, okay, the baby he comes to Earth, and then he's an adult right away. They don't really talk about those in-between years right, uh, right. for Superman until – I mean they do mention eventually that he was raised by the Kents uh, a lot sooner than we find out what, what happened to Bruce in these years. But mm-hmm. 
but still. But it, all in all, it's a very, you know, classic. Um, very classic and definitive take, yeah. Right. I mean, it doesn't change that much. No. Um, it's, it's it's added to, like his training is added to. Right now, he's just lifting a dumbbell and working right. with Bunsen burners, and someday we'll see him traveling abroad and learning all these different things. But, mm-hmm. but you know, as far as the one-sentence origin of Batman, this is it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's remained... Uh, remarkably consistent over the last 70 years you know like you said they've added stuff or then taken stuff out and changed things but the 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 two-page origin as we've been presented here fits pretty much all the various takes on it right um right not just the basic structure but even details like the burglar going for the necklace yeah them them leaving a movie Mm -hmm. Uh, i guess in batman begins it was the uh the opera wasn't it yeah, it was uh, yeah. some bat-themed opera. Yeah. Which I kind of like, too, because then they left the theater because he got scared. And it was his fault, sort yeah, of. Yeah, but I don't like it being Bruce's fault. or I don't like Bruce thinking it was his fault. I mean, he's a 8-year-old kid, and he's got enough on his shoulders the way it is with his parents just being killed. I guess that's of, true. It's just too, too down and too, you know... Well, it's pretty down either way. And, well, you know, it's a good it's a good catalyst for making someone do what he does. I would think. Yeah. Is putting it on his shoulders, and he yeah. is a he is a character that op- often feels the responsibility of you know everything that, you know, whether it's his fault or not. So. Yeah. I guess it's consistent, but it could also just be, and I think the other thing besides the opera is there, it's usually a movie called um, The Mark of Zorro. Okay. That they that they're leaving, which I think is funny because uh, not funny, but um, consistent with um, Bob Kane, who constantly said that that movie was one of his influences for creating Batman. Marco Zorro didn't come out to 1940. Um, well, there you go. Um, Did he say it was Marco Zorro though? Maybe that was one of the arguments that that Bob Kane's lying. But there was Zorro's Fighting Legion in 1939. No, I think he credits Mark of Zorro. Okay. Or at very least he credits... He is mistaken, he, I think. At the very well, least... Well, okay, I'm sorry. There was a 1920s version with Douglas Fairbanks. That's what, yeah. That's okay. it. Okay, okay. But in 1940, there was another version with a guy named Tyrone Power. No, it was Douglas Fairbanks. Okay. As, as okay. Zorro, that he, he says is one of the three things that inspired his Batman, I guess. Okay. Thank you, Wikipedia, for saving me. <laughs> Right. But here it just says it's a movie, so it could be any movie. And at some point, don't they uh, maybe say it was Robin Hood? Too? Uh, that could maybe be. Maybe one of the many continuities? Possibly. Okay. I could have dreamt that, maybe. That's possible. I can't. I know in, 80, in the 89 film they were leaving a movie. I don't know what it was, though. Oh, well. I don't remember either. I'd have to look at it. But it's just the part of the show where you uh, hit pause and then you write us letters telling us <laughs> all the things that we don't know. Um, while we're talking about uh, similarities and changes, though, at some point, actually in Batman 47, I think, it's retconned that Thomas was shot, but Martha had a heart attack. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I never and heard that, that carries through all the way to when they have Earth 1 and Earth 2. Earth 1, 
they say both parents were shot, but Earth 2, Martha had a heart attack. Okay. You're at the scene. So they both still died at the scene, but it was her heart that gave out in the chaos. So two thoughts come to me on that. One is it's just too brutal to shoot a woman, maybe, so they they changed Could it. Be. Yeah. Um, but then a more interesting is if Earth 2 is where she has a heart attack, but then a lot of people think that this story is an Earth 2 story, this particular issue. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's an argument that it's not, or some people think that Earth 1 and 2 share some issues. And Well, yeah, I mean, in, in these earliest issues, because the, be Earth, the separate Earths aren't established until... No, seventies or right, right. late sixties. So, hmm. yeah, right. when they when they did that, they just kind of plucked out what they wanted, and um, you know, they they did their best to make the characters both Batman, mm-hmm. but yet have differences, right? You know, just in their histories. So. To ex- they explain their longevity. Right, right, right. Nothing's perfect. Right. I've been surprised though how fully formed. Not to make another tangent, but just how fully formed Batman was at the beginning. In comparison to a character like Superman, because mm-hmm. if you look at Batman now and Batman how he's presented in these first seven issues we've looked at, it's pretty much the same character. Yeah. As far as the characterization and the the gadgetry and all that, mm-hmm. um, where other characters evolved over time, though it I guess we'll find out soon enough. But Batman's about to go through a major tonal shift. Yeah. And then he'll kind of come back to the darker stuff uh, in the Bronze Age. Yeah, where... Bat- Batman, more than a lot of characters, is adaptable to – or that might explain his longevity. I guess him and mm-hmm. Superman and various other characters. But Batman specifically seems to me the most adaptable as far as you know whatever's going on right now, we can make Batman work. Right. Um, but yeah, these early issues are pretty much how Batman is now uh, as far as dark and brooding and – you know, a street crime, or you know, fighting street crime, and mm-hmm. and yeah, I think we mentioned that in the first episode that it just seems like right off the bat he started right, <laughs> right off the bat, <laughs> right off the bat. I did that on purpose, but not really. <laughs> I think uh, the consistency of of the origin, anyway, owes a lot to the just the emotional impact of it, mm-hmm. because you know this is something that could actually happen. Yeah, uh, and none of the other top-tier heroes from DC and Marvel can really claim that. I mean, no. Earth's not going to blow up, and uh, you're not going to get superpowers from getting bit by a spider, and right. there's no Amazon warriors and thunder gods. Uh, no super soldier serums, just steroids. Right, right. Iron Man is probably the only one that's even plausible of the top-tier heroes from each universe. Right, right. But even his is substantially more far-fetched technology-wise, than Batman. Yeah, Batman's always kind of one of his biggest appeals is that, you know, you could maybe be him if you just, you know, bench-pressed enough and right. and studied hard enough. And then here, hard. even his origin has roots in, you know, reality where you could easily, you know, envision you oh, getting yeah. mugged and shot or your parents shot or... Yeah, I mean, that's something that probably actually has happened, mm-hmm. um, sadly. And there's there's... And that's not knocking of the Superman or Spider-Man origins. You know, I love those, oh, especially Superman because Superman's awesome. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to put yourself in Bruce's place. It's just a very – it's a more powerful – not more. I don't want to say more because that ranks it. But it's a very powerful origin because – Oh, yeah. Because you can you know, read about it in the paper pretty yes. much. 
I mean, that's what's one of the coolest things it's, about Batman to me is when he stays at that level, you know, fighting street crime, not necessarily the JLA satellite fighting a, you know, an alien or whatever, but when he's doing street crime and, and taking care of things that, you know, you read about in the paper that make you mad about humanity, that kind of. Right. Uh, but it's also very, it's just heartbreaking. You know, you see this little boy and his family is slaughtered right in front of him. Yeah. And he's, he's in uh He's all alone. I'm trying to think where it was. I guess it was Batman Begins, maybe, that did it the best. You know, he's he's uh he's there in his little suit. Yeah. And he's just got these wide, sad eyes, and the color drains from his face, and then the rain starts. It's just and his his man. dad his dad and his dying breath tells him not to be scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. You, you'd have to be soulless to not feel something mm-hmm. in the bottom of your stomach when that happens because it's yeah. just. What do you think about – I had a note about this, about the influence of this origin on future characters. Okay. Uh, starting with Spider-Man because – I mean obviously there's the the animal themes in both the characters. But in their origins, you've got the death of a parental figure as being a major part of their origins. Absolutely. I always thought Spider-Man probably took something from Batman as far as that goes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's uh, – well, I noticed the covers, too, to their first appearances. Uh, Detective Comics number 27 and Amazing uh-huh. Fantasy 15. That's a good um, point, yeah. I never thought of that. Swinging above the city with the villain under his arm. and mm-hmm. It's just, if it's a coincidence, it's a remarkable one. Yeah. But, you know, it's, that's not to say that Stan Lee and Steve Ditko swiped from the Batman origin because there's enough difference that it's... Sure. It's not a swipe, but Well, still, he also he also created Spider-Man out of his hatred for sidekicks, so he got something from Robin there, too. What was this? I, uh, I've never heard this. He hated sidekicks. Um, Stan Lee did? Yeah. And okay. So what's the first thing he does when he brings Captain America back? Kills Bucky. Um, <laughs> wow. And so he's thinking, you know, why can't the sidekick just be the hero? That might be, okay. an, that might be an interesting story. So I'm not saying he got thought of Robin specifically, but Robin, you know, being the first sidekick and all. Right. Ushered in the hatred. But then later there's the Punisher, which yes. obviously that's yeah, big time. The most significant difference there being Castle was an adult, where Bruce was a child when it happened. So it's yeah. I don't who is it Jerry Conway that made the pun created the Punisher. Um, that sounds right to me. But okay. if it's not, please don't write. We're not Marvel. F- I'm not a Marvel fan, people. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am, but I still don't know the answer to that. You like cool heroes like Captain America, so right, right. Not the Punisher. So <laughs> I've read some Punisher, but yeah, I don't know a lot about him. I know that his uh, his methods are a little different than Batman's, but uh, well, I, you know, in these early Golden Age stories, I don't know how. No, even in the Golden Age, because Frenchie would not have lived if he had faced the Punisher. Uh, good point. Yeah, good point. There was no dropping anybody off to the police station in the Punisher's world. Yeah. So um, the next thing I, I had a note about was, and I don't know how Mr. Kaiser feels about this, and I know that I'm going to have a lot of people that disagree with me out there. And if you disagree with me, feel free to write in and you know give me the opposing viewpoint. But I'm a, even though it's pretty much a post-zero hour idea, I like the idea that Batman never catches the killer. Okay. The the typical argument when someone has that opinion is that you know once Batman catches the killer his motivation goes away. Mm-hmm. 
and I think there's uh, something to that, but I disagree with it as a as a blanket statement because I think that's an extreme. Uh, because there is some form of altruism in what Batman does. I mean, he is a hero after all. Right. But I do think that if the Wayne's killer is brought to justice, his motivation is diminished, and that after a time, he would be much less motivated to continue putting his body through the punishment and torture that we're going to see it going through, like you know, in the Bronze Age and Modern Age. Um, we don't really see that in these Golden Age stories. I mean, we see him getting shot and whatnot, but not not to the extreme that we see it in uh, the last, say, three decades. Right. I don't know if I have a specific opinion on whether or not I care if he uh, catches Joe Chill. I wouldn't want it to be like this, you know, obsession that he never solves, you know. Right. Um, like to where, you know, I, I don't know if you watch the show The Monk. The Monk? Monk? No, I've seen a couple episodes. But, well, that, you know, he was always trying to find his wife's killer, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I need to, you know, read about it all the time where he's always constantly trying to figure it out because – um, I don't know if I care one way or another because really to me it's it's less about – it's certainly not about revenge for him. It goes far beyond that. He's not just trying to pay back criminals or anything like that. What To me what it seems like is you know, he's a boy. He got his parents taken away. He wants to live in a world where that doesn't happen to people. Right. And so he's going to make that world happen. Right. Um, whether Joe Chill is caught or not, that world still exists. His parents are still dead. Right. Someone and has to fix that. And that's why I like – the idea that he never catches the killer, even though I realize that it's very easy for them to turn Batman into a character driven by vengeance and you know turn him into that never smiling you know my parents are dead cliche mm-hmm. yeah but I think that's an extreme in the other direction mm-hmm. you've you've got to have balance because you've got to have Bruce come to a level of acceptance about his parents' death right and I realize that well I I can't speak from firsthand experience thankfully but. You, you probably never completely – I hate to say get over it, but – Accept. Seems, you know, accept maybe. Yeah, you never really accept it. But basically, yeah, he just decides to get over himself and channel that energy into making sure that no one else has to suffer like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's clearly room for you know either portrayal, but I'm just fond of the idea that the killer is never caught. And if he is, that's the end of Batman as much as this vow was the beginning of Batman. Uh, he may still wear the costume, he may still fight crime, but he's not the Batman that, you know, as an eight-year-old boy, kneeled by his bedside and made that vow. It's right. just a different character for me. Um, but see, his vow wasn't to catch Joe Chill. So I, I kind of like that right. idea, though, that that could be a cool bookend, you know, if they were to do a, you know, an alternate future or, a, you know, the last – if for some reason DC goes under and they have to do a last Batman story, that might be a cool way to end it. Yeah, because that's um, the that's the end of the story. Yeah, that's the nice Hollywood movie ending. You know, he corners the killer, the music swells, pulls off the mask. I'm the son of the man you murdered. Lightning, end score, all that. And then he's he can just rest in peace, or right. <laughs> or yeah. live in peace. But if the killer's never caught, it becomes just another senseless crime. Mm-hmm. I'm excuse me. If the killer is caught, it becomes just another senseless crime. Right. But if he's never caught, there's still that thing out there, that the boogeyman, you know, and a victim that still needs to be avenged. Yeah. And there's still a reason for Batman to exist, even long after Bruce retires or dies. Yeah. To make sure it never happens again. That right. no criminal goes unpunished and no victim goes without justice like Bruce did. 
Well, apparently some writers agree with you and some disagree because they keep changing their opinion. Well, the ones that disagree are <laughs> they're <laughs> they, wrong. They keep changing their opinion as to whether Chill was yeah. caught or or Rome's free. So yeah, I'm not sure what his current status is. Well, I think well Morrison is still writing Batman, so it's probably still that Morrison origin you gave. Well, the... even that had an ambiguous ending. Is he dead? Is yeah. he alive? Whatever. Yeah. Part of it for me is that there's just no satisfactory way for Batman to deal with the killer. No. If he kills him, that's against, you know, that's not in character. Because I don't think Batman should be a killer despite what he does in these earliest stories. Mm-hmm. And for Batman to just leave the killer to his fellow criminals, that's that's not justice. That's as much murder as killing him yourself. No, and I haven't read that story, so I don't know if he's aware that that happened to Chill or if Chill just gets away from him and you know, falls to that fate and Batman's, you know, off in his house somewhere, you know, smoking a pipe. I don't know. I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah. And, you know, there's jail. That's an option, I guess. But that's, that seems kind of anticlimactic for something that, you know, started a legend, you know. Right. But I like the idea that just a totally random and senseless crime that no one can understand will inspire someone to greatness and, you know, kickstart a legend, so to speak. Right. But whether they they catch Joe Chill or not, I definitely like the idea that the killer is just a low-level, nothing crook. Not a a hitman, not a crime boss, not someone running revenge on Thomas Wayne, certainly not the Joker. No, I absolutely agree with that one. Yeah. I I definitely don't want him to be a hitman. I, I think the more... It has to be random. That's the whole point. Yeah. Is that just, you're uh, you're walking along, minding your own business, and some criminal ruins your life. Just right. random. Yeah. He's just a faceless criminal who saw an opera, saw a couple rich people and thought, hey, they have money. Yeah. In this origin, it's not. Sometimes they make it look like like Chill accidentally shot him, like he got in over his head. Um, but this this Chill is or this unnamed murderer is very uh you know mean. Right. You asked yeah. for it, and this will shut you up. So he was definitely out for blood. And I didn't. I yeah. I don't necessarily love that the '89s take that it was the Joker. Um, and conversely, I don't really like it when Batman's responsible for the Joker's creation. But I guess we could talk about that one. Well, that was kind of ambiguous in the movie, I think. Well, I think in the comic they've even, you know, the whole Red Hood thing. Okay. Um, Is that the Alan Moore? Story. I think it, I think it's based on a Silver Age story, so I guess we'll find out when we get to it. Yeah, I really need to bone up on my on my Batman. That's what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, the making the Joker into the Wayne's killer, you know, ties it up in a nice little Hollywood bow, mm-hmm. but it's too neat and tidy for my taste. Yeah. Especially in an ongoing narrative like the comics, you know. Well, I just like the, my favorite thing about the Joker is that. You don't know what, anything about the Joker, you know. Right. I mean, even Batman, to you know, to this day, has no idea what the Joker is going to do. <laughs> right. And doesn't know where to look. He's not like his other criminals were. Completely unpredictable. Right. It's like, oh, two faces in town. Let me look for pairs. Or you know, oh, here's, here's a Riddler's <laughs> riddle. You know, as Joker, it's like you don't know. Is he going to kill people? Is he going to? Uh, I'm having flashbacks to the Adam West series. Right. Right. <sighs> so, and I like that about him. I don't want to know where he came from necessarily he's chaotic to batman's order or chaos to batman's order so but we can talk more about the joker and i know six episodes or so 
that'll be fun. I wanted to ask, what was your? Do you remember what your earliest exposure to Batman's origin was? Yeah, you know, I saw that. You were. I saw that in your notes, and uh, honestly, I just have no memory of of reading it or experiencing it for the first okay. time. I guess mm-hmm. I've always known, but I don't know how. Certainly not from Super Friends. <laughs> My earliest, back in 1984, when the first wave of the Superpowers figures came out, which uh, we talked about in the yeah. first episode, they had a uh, special carrying case that you could get that held all the first wave figures. And on the inside of that, they had uh, just like a uh, one strip, like a newspaper strip, origin for each of the heroes uh superman flash green lantern hawkman batman and robin wonder woman and aquaman and the the batman strip it's very vague about bruce's age it just says that his parents were killed in a holdup doesn't say they were shot or murdered just killed Uh uh-huh and it's kind of vague like i said about bruce's age when it happened it shows the first panel shows a figure kneeling in the alleyway but you can't really tell if bruce is a kid or old, and then the next panel shows Bruce uh, standing at his parents' gravesite when he's, you know, twenty-ish. Uh, but then, that, so that was my first exposure to the origin, and then the uh, 1989 Batman movie came yeah. next. And then, but the first time I saw this, this two-page, the, the original origin, was in Les Daniels' uh, DC Comics 60 Years of the World's Favorite comic book heroes okay it was like a dc history book that came out in 95 Mm -hmm. my sister got me that for christmas that year which was really cool my sister on the inside front cover they had the superman two-page superman origin from superman number one and on the inside back cover they had this well i guess the batman number one version of this but anyway okay yeah i wish i wish i could remember i honestly just have no idea i don't know where i first learned about batman in general so um, well, yeah, like we talked about in a previous episode, these characters, they just work their way into the, the public consciousness, and it, you're always exposed to them. So. I know it. I could say that I, I, I knew the origin before going into the 89 film because I kept waiting for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked. I, I guess when I went there, I was thinking it was going to be more of an origin movie, and it was supposed to start that way. Right. And it didn't. I remember, you know being confused that it didn't so um so i must have known about it at that point but where i learned it i'd have no idea so um batman's origin has been retold and retold countless times throughout the last 70 years but there's a few that i wanted to point out that are just clear homages or send-ups to the original the first is batman 47 which we've talked about before and i'm not going to talk about it too much because we'll be getting to it pretty soon but there's a flashback scene in that that is the uh, it's a near panel for panel recreation of this original origin, and with some added details. And the next is Batman: War on Crime from 1999 by Alex Ross and Paul Dini. And at the beginning of that, they do a two-page uh, retelling of the origin. Of the four that I'm going to talk about here, it's probably the most unlike the original, but still. When you read it, it kind of feels like Ross was trying to pay homage to this original. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then there was the – I think it came from the Batman Hush hardcover and trade paperback collections. It was by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee and Scott Williams, and it was a two-page origin sequence uh, 
that was added to those collections, and I think it was originally posted at DCComics.com, if I'm remembering right. But anyway, the text is a little bit different because it's told from Alfred's point of view, but the text and Lee's art are clearly a send-up to this original, especially Lee's art. And then the last one is Batman the Brave and the Bold, the cartoon, season 2, episode 11, which was titled Chill of the Night. And that episode has a flashback scene that tells of Wayne, of the Waynes getting shot and Bruce making his vow. And the dialogue is lifted directly from this original origin. And even the animation is a clear homage back to this original two-page origin, which I didn't realize the dialogue had been lifted uh, directly from this comic until I rewatched it after reading this. So that was a nice surprise. Yeah, I am just... Um... I've just become a huge uh, Brave and the Bold fan. I, I kind of admit that when it first came out, I wasn't really interested in the direction they had taken. Uh, you know, it, it. I wanted the gloomy, dark Batman. You were used to the Batman the animated series, but yeah, I've just been watching I've heard it. that from a couple people. But yeah, yeah, but no, they really embraced the you know '50s and '60s and pretty much uh-huh. all yeah. Batman history. I mean, they even did. Oh a, yeah, they did an '80s homage the other day. So. Um, or when Superman was on, they they did some nods to the Dark Knight. Oh, Superman was, episode was awesome. I was yeah. actually cheering when I watched that. Yeah. And I don't cheer for TV shows, so. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really good if you guys aren't watching it. You definitely. But should. in uh, Chill of the Night, Adam West and Julie Newmar voiced Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. So that was a nice. Uh, I didn't recognize Julie Newmar's voice, but Adam West obviously he's yeah. got one of those voices. And sure. Also in that episode, Kevin Conroy was the Phantom Stranger, Mark Hamill was the Spectre, and Richard Mole, who voiced Two-Face on Batman the Animated Series, voiced Two-Face as well as Lou Moxon. And it also had, and I don't know how to pronounce this last name, but I think it's Peter Honorati or Honorati? You're on your maybe? own. Okay. Anyway, he voiced Warhawk in Batman Beyond, and and then in oh. Chill at Night he voiced he voiced Joy Ch- Joy Chill, Joe <laughs> Chill. Boy, they really changed that. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was just a very cool episode with lots of throwbacks to previous incarnations of the Batman. Yeah. Very. And it's just like like we said, all through that show is, you know, homages and pastiques and send ups to. Batman history, so yeah, his entire history, and that's what impresses me the most about it. Because a lot of times they just kind of Batman fans and writers tend to skip that whole '50s and '60s scene. Yeah, well, it's campy and, and yeah, silly. I can't blame them. They but they want to do the dark stuff, so right. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a ten-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero.
Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com. Every legend has a beginning. All right, so moving on to page three of the story. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was a that was a very important first two pages. Yes, yes. Um, our story proper begins with Bruce Wayne and his trusty pipe strolling the crowded streets of Manhattan. A dirigible appears overhead and begins firing death rays, destroying buildings and causing rubble to rain down on the crowded streets below. A voice booms from the dirigible, proclaiming to be from the Scarlet Horde, saying they are intent on taking over the world, yada yada yada. Bruce aids in the rescue effort before heading home and checking out news reports about the attack, which apparently has left thousands of people dead. Bruce grabs his pipe and slips into the secret laboratory and begins searching through his files for information on the Scarlet Horde or their death beams. He comes across an article about a Professor Carl Kruger, a former insane asylum inmate with a Napoleon complex, who had been working on a death ray. Bruce then suits up as the Batman and heads out to pay Kruger a visit. Inside his home, Kruger is meeting with three of his lieutenants, Travis, Bixley, and Ryder apparently the leaders of a 2,000-strong army at Kruger's command. And they plot the plots that all would-be world dictators do. Just as Kruger relishes in his plans and the idea that no one can stop him, the Batman makes the scene intent on doing just that. The Batman hurls a batarang at Kruger, but it is deflected by a thick pane of glass that separates the two. A secret panel opens behind the Batman, and an arm reaches out and clubs him, rendering him unconscious. The Batman revives, bound hand and foot and at the mercy of Kruger, who monologues about leaving the Batman to die in an imminent explosion and then makes an exit. The Batman is able to <laughs> The Batman is able to use a knife hidden in his boot to free himself and escape the house mere moments before he becomes Bat Flambe. The next night, the Batman pays a visit to Ryder, telling him to let Kruger know that he's still alive and threatening to be back. Ryder, afraid that the Batman will make good on his threat, heads to the hangar where Kruger keeps his dirigible of death, unknowingly followed by the Batman and his Batplane. In order to keep the guards from seeing the Batplane, Batman breaks a vial, causing a huge black cloud to form around the Batplane. And no, I'm not making this up. The ruse works, though, and Batman is able to rappel down into the hangar. Inside, Bixley is instructing two guards about a truck-mounted version of the Death Ray when suddenly a gas pellet bursts, taking them all out. Pistol in hand, the Batman then destroys the smaller machine and sets his sights on the dirigible. He grabs an axe and is about to start a chopping when Kruger jumps out of the dirigible and shoots our hero point-blank. As the Batman lies in a puddle of blood on the ground, Kruger tells a guard to watch him while he grabs one of the death ray machines to destroy the body. Kruger soon returns, firing the death ray at the body, leaving only a pile of ashes. Sometime later, a shadowed figure, clad in a guard's uniform, climbs the rope to the waiting Batplane. Once inside, the figure removes his hood to reveal Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. the totally awesome Batman, alive and well. Back at Wayne Mansion, Bruce patches himself up and ruminates on how a bulletproof vest saved his life. He then lights his trusty pipe once again, and gets to work in his lab, mixing a mysterious chemical, which he uses to coat the surface of the Batplane. The next day, Kruger's dirigible appears again over Manhattan, but the Batman is there in his Batplane and dives at the dirigible. 
Kruger fires his death ray at Batman, but the chemical treatment leaves the Batplane unharmed. Kruger jettisons from the dirigible, for some reason, aboard a smaller plane, and the Batplane nosedives nose directly into the dirigible, causing both aircraft to explode in midair. As the Batman parachutes down, he tosses his rope and lassos the wing of Kruger's plane. The Batman then makes his way up the rope, finally mounting the wing of the plane, as Kruger pulls a gun and fires at the Batman. Thankfully, he misses, and Batman tosses a gas pellet into the cockpit of the plane. With Kruger unconscious from the gas, the plane plummets downward. The Batman leaps free just as the plane crashes into the water below. Later, back at Wayne Mansion, Bruce chillaxes, smoking his trusty pipe once more, and listens to the radio reports that Kruger's body was fished from the drink, and authorities have captured the entire Scarlet Horde army. The end. Yay. Yay. So, right off the bat, we can see... I did it again. Immediately, as we start the story, <laughs> we can see that I was right. Uh, was it two episodes ago? Yep. Yes, because Batman is in New York City. Yep, it says Manhattan. So, score one for me being right. Woohoo, let's write that down. Um, <laughs> it's probably the last time it'll ha- ever happen. So. so, and I know we talked about it already, but now I can't remember. Was, was Superman also in Manhattan at this point, or did they not say... Um, was he in New York? The, the first time we get a, uh, a location for Batman, or for for Batman, for for Superman, it's Cleveland. But oh. then, but then later they say Metropolis, New York. Okay. I, I would have to look up the dates on that compared to the date of when this issue published. But but yeah, they say it was Metropolis, New York. Okay, I knew they, it was New York something, but I couldn't remember what the deal was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So fictional, but not. So just to out my stupidity, and I don't know why I do this, but I guess just to be open and honest with everybody, um, yeah, I'd never heard of a uh, uh, dirigible. Dirid, is that how you say it? Dirigible. It's a very hard word to say. Yeah. And thank you for sticking me with this synopsis where I had to say it like a <laughs> <of> times. <laughs> I always thought they were called zeppelins, but I guess that's like calling all tissue Kleenex or something. I would have just said blimp. Yeah. Blimp. I think maybe dirigible is kind of an older. Mm-hmm. Older word. I don't know. I'm, I don't know when blimp made its way into the lexicon, but makes for an interesting title. Dirigible of Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of scary, kind of not. Okay, I guess blimp is of origin around World War One. Okay. And let me look up dirigible. Must be something different about it. And dirigible comes from the 16th century, so. Ah. Yeah. So they went old school. Yeah. Uh, right. a very, very destructive blimp, nonetheless. Oh yeah. Uh, this is the first time that a villain has has done you know mass damage. Um, buildings are falling over. People. Oh, good point. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I mean they show the gosh. I mean panic is, in the streets. Yeah, I mean people are dying here. This is a uh, big time bad. This isn't just one or two murders at a time. This is <laughs> taking out the whole city. Did you see this guy in the lower corner? Uh, the panel that shows the buildings falling. This guy in the lower corner looks exactly like the guy from issue 31 when Bruce was buzzing the crowd in the bat plane. Yeah. It looks like the exact same guy. I also think um, Bob Kane is just bad at drawing people tilting their head upward. Because <laughs> um, if you look at the two guys on the cover, they also seem to have this strange face. Yeah. Um, or, you know, neck strain or whatever. It looks like they're in pain. I don't know. It's just funky. Yeah. Bob, 
you know, he wasn't that great of an artist. He's I'm good sorry. and he's not good. It just depends. Mostly not for like, um, you know, regular stuff as far as, you know, just citizens and, you know, he makes a very dynamic Batman from time to time, but. Oh, yeah. But while we're talking about Bob Kane, did you notice a major, maybe not major, but a significant change in the art this time? Yes. It, it seemed more rendered is the only word I could think of to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially just, noticeable on with Batman himself. Yes. Yeah, uh, you can see Batman the nose on Batman's costume or on his cowl is defined now, where before yeah. it looked like it just came down to a point. Um, it's the first time we see that um, little shorthand that they do, where they make like a triangle uh-huh. color on his nose, so you could, so it seems like it's coming to a point. Right. Um, and the horns seem a little bit more. They're they're still pretty big, but they're a little more refined, I think. They're refined, so. and they're not um, trying to be ears anymore. Right. They they're don't not. look like rabbit ears. That's that's what. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it used to be that up until this point, it seems like they were trying to. St- have them come from his ear. Right. And now they're... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Now they're the more traditional, right out the top of his head look, like horns. But his his uh, chest logo still looks pretty boring to me. It seems a little bigger, this issue. Sometimes. Slightly. Sometimes. There were, there were yeah. some panels where it wasn't even on his chest, so... Yeah. Again, it's he's like an afterthought. Got, he's also got claws on his gloves, which yeah. I don't think he's had before. No. I didn't go back and look, but... So that's kind of cool. Anyway, back to Bruce Wayne, who's still... Uh, I liked seeing Bruce helping with the rescue effort. Yeah. Bruce help, Absolutely. not Batman. It uh, shows that you don't have to be a superhero to, Absolutely. to help people out. And I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of this, and it'll be hammered into us. Look, you can help too, at, you know, when we get to World War II and that kind of thing. Even a bored socialite can... Right. Lend, lend a hand when a blimp terrorizes your city. Mm-hmm. And I like this last panel where, <laughs> where he's listening to the radio. I know they don't intend it to sound like this, but they for to shorthand, he's listening to the radio, and it says, and the rescue work is still going on. Thousands are dead. And then to shorthand, you know, I guess that the uh, news story continues, they write, et cetera, et cetera. But... <laughs> The way I initially read it, it was just like, yeah, we're bored of this already. Let's let's, let's see what Lohan is up to. Yeah. Let's move on. Thousands are dead, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Let's move on with the story. Um, so then we have Bruce Wayne in his stately Wayne mansion, slipping into a secret compartment. Awesome. Very cool. Yes, I was Still very excited. Bat cave. Still not the Batcave yet, but no. stepping another step closer. Yeah, we're getting past just, you know, a trunk, so. Right. And I had a question that's off topic, but did we ever see how Batman accessed the Batcave in Batman the Animated Series? Do you remember? Hmm. Because in the Adam West series and in the Burton Schumacher films, there was a trap door. Right. Somehow. Same with with Batman Begins. There was a... Okay. There was a secret door, and it had an elevator in it. Uh... You know, it's not coming to mind. That's weird. They must have. They had to have, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. He uh, had a clock, and it had stairs. Okay. Definitely. It was It was a secret clock that opened up, and then the stairs just really, these really long stairs that led down, all the way down to the cave. 
I remember that from. Uh, I think it's that way in the comics. It's that way in Batman Beyond. Anyway, I don't know if that's how it was. Well, that takes off. That's the same universe. Right, though. same universe, same house. So. Right. I'm just thinking. I I just had a flash of Kingdom Come. It's not in continuity, but uh, in that Wayne Mansion is destroyed before the story starts, mm-hmm. and when Superman goes to see uh, Bruce, I guess you could call him. He flies into Wayne Mansion, and then you see him moving the clock and going yeah. down these big steps into the Batcave. So same idea, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and Alex All Ross right. is a you know big Bruce Tim fan and a the Batman the animated series fan. Like who isn't? But so yeah. maybe he designed it after that. Who knows? I kind of like the idea of the uh, big red button underneath Beethoven's head, though. Yeah, that's a great way to go. <laughs> and then they slide down the pole and turn. <laughs> the, from... the labeled poles. Bruce yeah, Dick. yeah, and they somehow change on the way down. It's brilliant, but it's nice to see that he's getting a little more cloak and dagger. Yes, even if they haven't spelled out how it all works. Yeah, still he's smoking got, that pipe. Still smoking the pipe. He's even got secret files on people, which is another. Okay. Uh, yeah, so this I didn't love so much. I like that. He has secret files on people. Absolutely like that. You know, this predates the back computer apparently. Um, he has a file. He has a filing cabinet. But uh, so I like that he's actually, you know, actively keeping tabs on bad guys. But I don't really like that it's just a newspaper clipping that tells you everything you need to know. Um, once again, that just seems like a Gardner Fox story idea where he's just being lazy and wants to get to. Get to the Batman punching people part. Right. He he seems to always bypass Batman investigating. Yeah. He just pulls out I, a newspaper that says, oh, there's this guy, and he's from an insane asylum, and he really likes Napoleon death and death rays. <laughs> it's like, really? So someone published that in a paper, and no one ever did anything about it? Yeah. I don't know. Well, they did put him in a loony bin. True. And it says he's now working on a new type of death ray. So yeah. that's after he is released. Yeah, don't you think he should be arrested for that? Or I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he worked for the government. I, I... It's just very shorthand. Just to... Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It didn't bother me when I, when I read the story, but I, I understand where you're coming from on it. Yeah. yeah. And you've got a point. So. But he pulls his uh, costume out of that chest again, so we're still being consistent there. Oh, and they mention uh, the insane asylum, and I looked up, and Arkham won't be named until the 70s, the mid-70s. Wow. I was surprised at that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would have thought that came into the mythology long before that, but wow. it's a Bronze Age construct. So Yeah, I didn't even catch that. So this is the first uh, mention of an insane asylum, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which will be obviously a an important role in Batman's future. Right. Can't really say it's his first crazy villain because I think no, I think Doctor Death had some mental issues. But well, it's the first crazy villain to start crazy, right? And be beyond crazy because this guy's like Napoleon crazy. <laughs> he dresses like him. He has pictures of him on his wall. Mm, yes. So he's a themed crazy. Did you notice the smoking billboard when when Bruce drives to uh, Kruger's house? Oh, yeah, on the road? Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought was hilarious as much as we see Bruce smoking. They probably got paid to put that in there. <laughs> Product placement. Yeah. But he's still driving his car. Yep, the uh, the red uh, high-powered automobile. So maybe that's why I think 
Bob Kane draws really good Batman because, uh, you know, Batman's just traditionally a silhouette when he's looking really cool. Could so be, yeah. The less detail, the better, in a way. So maybe that's why, maybe that's why Batman's such a great creation for Bob Kane. Maybe, yeah. He can draw shapes really well. Yeah. I like that they built up to Kruger's appearance, though. Not showing him. They show the uh, they show the pictures of Napoleon, and then they reveal that Kruger looks just like Napoleon, but fatter. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it's kind of comical. Yeah. It reminds me of that uh, that King Tut villain or whatever from the '60s TV show. Oh. You know, just obsessed with with a with a character. Yeah. Uh, he thought he actually was King Tut, though, didn't he? Yeah, he probably did. Okay. I can't remember. Or maybe I'm getting him confused with uh, Maxi Zeus from the animated series, who thought he was Zeus. Or maybe they're just a take on one of the same character. And, it could be, yeah. Or the same idea. Right. Um, doesn't 2,000 people in this army seem like an awful lot of people? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, that's... Maybe he's got a lot of money. I guess. Or... Or... You know, the entire insane asylum got let out with him or something. Um, so the Batarang gets denied with this giant pane of glass that you think Batman would have seen. A glare yeah. off of or a reflection or something. It's very clean. But, yeah, but it's better than some invisible force field or uh, a magical net that pops out of nowhere. So. <laughs> right, right. Did they even have force fields in 1939? Yeah. Probably. Sci-fi books, sci-fi books probably did. Probably, oh yeah, probably. But again, we have more art issues from Kane because Batman comes in from behind. I keep wanting to call him Napoleon. He comes in from behind Kruger, and then he's in front of Kruger. Throws the batarang. It bounces off the glass, and Kruger is against the wall. Even though Batman just came in from behind him, but then we have Batman against the wall as well because the guy reaches out and smacks him with the gun. To knock him out. Right. If if Kruger had a had glass in front of him, then Batman should have been just fine because he he came in through the window behind him. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. It just keeps flipping around. Makes no sense. But it is kind of a funny scene where the, this arm just comes out from behind a picture and. Yeah, and they never really explain who that is or. No, like, just I guess it's one of his lieutenants. One of his two thousand people. Possibly. Yeah, because we don't see from the time Batman comes in. Until later, we don't see the lieutenants. They just kind of disappear. So maybe they ran when Batman came in and slipped around. And yeah, does that give me enough surprise? This is the. Uh, it's not the first time Batman's been caught or had to escape from something, but it still seemed like kind of a first for me in the sense that it's the first time he's been knocked out. Yeah, knocked out, tied up, and left for dead. You know, right. like like they walk away. instead of shooting him in the head. Let's just walk away and blow the building up. You know, right. Um, which will happen over and over again in future stories. Um, but I think Fox meant um, incendiary bomb, not incandescent bomb. Because <laughs> an incandescent something that's incandescent glows. It's very yeah. bright. He needs some so. bat sunglasses. <laughs> I'm sure he packs those. I'm sure he does. Next to his gun and his gas pellets. Mm-hmm. But a very cool explosion. Mm-hmm. Oh, but he does have a knife though. Oh, yeah. So. Do you think he learned from his face-off with the monk that he should carry something sharp in case there's no chandeliers handy? Yeah, why not? 
Yeah, makes sense to me, and I like that it's it comes out of his uh his boot. So did it? Did he? Did he have it hidden in his boot, or it says draws forth a steel blade from his boot? It makes it look like it's part of his boot, but oh, like a like a compartment or something. It okay. could be just the coloring. I don't know, or the bad drawing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that. Um, but yeah, I like the explosion, the uh, sequence with Batman almost getting blown up, and because it looks like it throws him back. Mm-hmm. So he, it's you know. Yeah, it throws it back, and it's got really cool lighting on uh-huh. you know, his face and hand as the thing rages, the fire rages. Um, it even looks kind of like he's bleeding a little bit there from the side of his mouth, so that yep. could just be an art issue. No, I think I think that is blood. That would be really cool. Okay. Um, yeah, he does have pointy fingers, though, doesn't he? You could definitely yeah. tell tell on this one panel here. I like that part of the costume. Yeah. It's, you know, in keeping with the bat theme. Not the bat, not that bats have fingers, but um, the only th- I've seen that in uh, the animated series, he would do that occasionally, where hmm. kind of like a a jackknife, he could he could twitch his hand and it would turn into claws. Oh, cool! So that was kind of interesting. Maybe that's where they got it. Uh, in a couple issues ago, I gave him, we, we both gave him guff for pausing to eat supper <laughs> while there was evil afoot, but I think yeah. I can. Uh, uh, let it slide that he wanted to go home and rest after getting almost blown up real good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when he went to go eat, he hadn't even been Batman yet that issue, so right, right. He wasn't even, you know, starting. But yeah, I could see, you know, if you're a human being and you barely escape an explosion, that maybe you'd want to go home and yeah, relax for a little while. But first time, uh, I don't know how to put this, but first time Batman sneaks into a villain's room while they're while they're sleeping, and you know they wake up to him hovering Standing over. Standing over them, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very Batman-y right thing, at least in the modern mm-hmm. modern look of the character. Again, they don't say how he found this guy necessarily, but <laughs> no, I guess it doesn't matter. Well, he probably had a file on them too. I mean, yeah, it doesn't probably. say how he found uh, Kruger either. That's a good point. It doesn't, so. does it? Uh, but still, I like it, and I like that. Uh, you know. He interrogates the guy, scares the crap out of him, and then oh, just, yeah. just takes off. I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, and the guy's just sitting there shivering at the window. <laughs> Another appearance of the Bat Plane. Right, which is gray again after gray being again. blue last issue. Did it have the uh, realistic Bat Head on it before? It was hard to tell. I looked back, and it seems like all the uh, looks we got at the Bat Plane in the previous issues were either from the rear or in silhouette. Okay. But if you look in the first panel here where it shows up, you see the little horns mm-hmm. popping up, and we saw those in the earlier issues. Yeah. So I'm going to say that it did have it. Well, I didn't notice it till this issue. There's a. It a, looks goofy. There's a big panel of. Yeah. You, know, you can see the head full on, and it's like a realistic bat head slapped to the front of it. So it's kind of funny looking. Yeah. So uh, we have uh, geography issues with a giant cliff in the middle of New York <laughs> with <laughs> with Kruger's hanger on it, but okay. Yeah. Um, oh. Is he still in New York? Who knows? Well, I... I mean, he flew to Hungary with this New thing. York State, at least, you would maybe, think. Maybe, I don't think yeah. A, I don't think a dirigible could fly over, over the ocean, could it? I have no idea. That's probably true. Anyway, I'm calling shenanigans on the whole 
cloud on a bottle thing. Oh, absolutely stupid. <laughs> because it it seems it seems pretty implausible. And even if it did work, I don't think anyone would be stupid enough to mistake it for a rain cloud, especially when there's no other clouds in the sky. Well, initially when I I skimmed through it, I thought that the plane was emitting the smoke. You know. No, which, which kind of makes a, sense. He breaks a glass vial. Yeah, so that makes less sense because why would it follow the plane around? <laughs> you know, but then, like you're right, even if even if it does for some reason stick to the plane, um, these two guards are the stupidest guards on the planet. Uh huh. You know, they just look up. Oh, a black cloud. Yeah, it looks like rain. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bright as day, and there's this hovering black cloud over top of your you know secret base. Right. With Batman hanging out of it, so <laughs> that's kind of funny. Not not as stealthiest moment, but no. Um, but speaking of henchmen, is this the first time that they've had uh, you know uniforms? Yes, it is, and they so. look like dumb Donald joined Hydra. Yeah, so. pretty much. But you know, at least the villain is is coordinated this time. Right. Um, but once again, uh, pulls out that gun. Right. At, he doesn't use it, though. He just packs it around. So do you think Fox was trying to establish that he packs a gun as part of his standard equipment? Well, Fox and Kane, I guess. Because well, it seems you know, like he, he used it last issue, mm-hmm. and now he has it here. And then in the very last the very last panel of the story, the ad, we see him holding the gun there, too. Yeah, not only does he have the gun, but now he's been upgraded to have a holster on his belt so does he have it in the story too yeah when he's dropping oh, down there it is yeah when he's dropping down he's got it so good point it's part of his outfit now mm. i don't know if that's just because they were big fans of the you know the pulp heroes and I, I guess they wanted to start maybe making batman more realistic but yeah, yeah like you said he doesn't ever use it for anything i don't know but it's it's kind of weird that it shows up now when we just got that origin, you know, that the mm. gun played such a major part there, and now uh-huh. at the same time we're seeing Batman pack the gun more, which is kind of weird considering later they'll, you know, have Batman have this big anti-gun, you know, no guns at all stance. Right, specifically because of that origin. So. Right, right, yeah, that's right. what I should say. Yeah, it is funny, but yeah, he doesn't use it on people, he just seems to use it on yeah. on things or or. You know, uh, the undead, I guess. We get a, uh, well, I don't know. What was he going to shoot here? There's no undead people here. Uh, I mean, he, he shoots the machine. Is that what he does? It's hard to tell. Oh, he so he does use the gun. To, oh, okay. Okay, that's right. He shoots. That's why he's got the gun out, because he shoots the machine, because he says, well, here it goes. Hope I don't get blown up. Right. There is a blast as the machine goes off and blows up the others. Okay. Right. Which, which I thought was a funny line. I don't. I don't know why. I like that one. Yeah. It's... Here I go. Hope I don't get blown up. That sounded very uh, Indiana Jones to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I got to thinking that uh, it's kind of weird when Batman talks at all. Um, I don't know. You mean just in these stories, or in these stories? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, because he takes on the bad guys so quickly, he just jumps in, punches them, knocks them out. Right. Um, so when he banter's or takes the time to say anything it always is kind of funny to me <laughs> i guess he doesn't really have to speak yeah he lets his fists do the talking for him 
Yeah. That's, or a, the, that's, an, that's in the Tough Guy Handbook. Or the axe in this case, as he is going to sit, <sighs> sit here for three and a half hours and and, and pick apart this blimp with an yeah, axe. Yeah, I don't... I guess, um, I guess he's just going to pop it. I don't know. Uh, that's kind of what I figured. That's going to hurt. You in your, well, you would think, yeah, the big explosion. <clears throat> I'm not sure where he got the axe to begin with. No. Um, just, you know, part of the secret hangar. I guess. But then Kruger, surprise, pops out of nowhere, which was... That actually surprised me when I read it because I wasn't expecting him to come out of the of the dirigible. dirigible. Yeah. And then once again, there's kind of positioning issues here with the art. It looks like he's coming at him from behind, but then he shoots him in the chest. I don't know. Maybe he, that's another good point. Maybe he just spun I, around. I he came out of the out of the dirigible, but it doesn't really say. And the dirigible is red, mm-hmm. and he comes out of a, a yellow area, the wall. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We're used to this stuff by now, it seems like. Yeah, right. So this is the second time he's been shot? Second time, yep. First one was by Frenchie's... No, it was by... Dr. Dr. Death, uh, Jabba. Yeah, Jabba. Was it? Yeah, it was Jabba. Okay, yeah. Third issue, yeah. Uh-huh. We're going to start forgetting all this stuff pretty soon, but... Yeah, that's all right. You can't keep track of seven whole episodes worth of content. <laughs> Especially when it starts blending together, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there has been a lot of similarities in these stories. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they're different, but especially foxes. I was thinking about that before we started recording. You know, they've got the foxes stories seem pretty much the same, uh, same steps each story. Just the, right, right. The villain is different and. Yeah, to his credit, he does try and make more interesting villains than. Yeah. And I oh, yeah, to, he's he's had a wide variety of villains. It's hard to compare him to Finger because Finger didn't get very far before he took over, but. He only had to, yeah twelve pages basically. Right. Is uh, what Finger's writing now, so. So, but, but there are a lot of. It seems to be the same problems with every story of you know. How did uh, ba- How did Batman figure this out, or what is the villain trying to do here, or you know that that sort of thing, but. It was totally cool of him to take the guard's place, though. <laughs> a death? Death count? Even if you don't, if, as long as you don't, yeah, count the idea that he left the guard to die in his place. I mean, he could have just knocked the guard out and left. Or knocked the guard out, took the guard's place, and then beat up Kruger. Yeah. It's That's not like another option. It's end, not like end of story. Yeah. Yeah, but I did, I did like the the swap. I think it was. A cool idea. Yeah. Uh, but that definitely that definitely goes towards his death count. Oh yeah, I mean he had to know what was going to happen. When right. He came back, so. Yeah. Uh, but I like this scene where he goes home and you know patches up his his bullet wound. Uh huh. As opposed to going to his family doctor, which was great. And I have to explain why he got shot again, or why he shot himself again. Yeah. Well, that and it's nice to see that Bruce has the ability to patch himself up. Right. With his medicine cabinet and all that, but uh, but uh, what I like is that he—it's like he preps for round two, uh, which I don't think he's done uh-huh. that I that I can remember. Ah, uh, no, not really. Which is a very Batman thing. We've talked about it before. How he's he's a very proactive character. Right. He's a human, so he has to think, you know, ahead of his villains, so he doesn't get killed. And here we see that he sort of succeeded, but sort of failed against Kruger. And so now he has to go back, but before he goes back, he's going to spray a chemical over his bat plane, 
right? That makes and sense. and this is the first time we've seen Bruce being a chemist, and sure. I can't help but wonder if that was a direct result of the origin. They're trying yeah. to show him being you know smart as well as athletic. Yeah. Or if it came up first, I don't know which. If the origin was written first of the story. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to tell, but I, I just found that interesting that they happened in the same. Yeah. Issue. Who, who got the idea of Gardner Fox or Bill Finger? Or... Right. I was trying to find like more information on the you know the 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 spark of the origin, but I didn't come up with any. No luck. No. Which is too bad because I was kind of interested, you know, where they came up with the idea and if whether it said you know they knew about that from the beginning or. I kind of get the impression they didn't. Me too. Because it it seems like they would have mentioned that earlier. Definitely. Seven issues in. It's too good to wait for seven issues. Right. right. Um, but still, you know, where, where did Bill Finger come up with that idea? Uh, I couldn't find anything. That's a good question, yeah. You know, Mark, uh, there's a uh, there's a writer, Mark Tyler Nobleman. He did a uh, picture book about Siegel and Schuster called Boys of Steel. Okay. And he is working on a similar book for Bill Finger that will be out, I think, in 2012. Well, there you so, go. Hopefully, maybe some of these. Uh, I mean, he did a lot of research, a lot more than you would think for a kids' book for the Siegel and Schuster one. And I, reading on his website, you've, he's been doing a lot of similar research for Bill Finger and uncovering things that you know people haven't thought about in years concerning Bill Finger. So hopefully, maybe it'll kind of bring some of that to light when that book comes out. Yeah, that'd be great. So, what do you think about Batman? Kamikazeing into the dirigible. I love it. Over a crowded metropolitan well, area. Okay, there is that, of course. <laughs> but I was very excited by this scene. I mean, normally I kind of prefer Batman to solve his problems with a little stealth and, you know, uh-huh. ingenuity. But there are times where it's really cool when he just blows something up. Blows something up. You know, he that's a very Frank Miller Batman approach to, you know, drive your bat tank into the wall. Um, but here's a guy who's attacking his city, killing hundreds of people, if not more, knocking right. over buildings, and it was just really cool that, you know, Batman's just, you know, not in my city, buddy, and just blows through it. Yeah. I yeah, like I like it. that, but it just seems like over a, you know, they're right over Manhattan, so it's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's obviously that. And I also, again, I like that his his bat plane is now immune to the death ray, thanks to his preparation. For about three panels. Until he right. blows it up. <laughs> it's long enough to get close to it to blow it up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought, do you think they will uh, reference this next time we see the Batplane? That it had to be rebuilt or – That would be very cool if they did. they'll just uh, you know, show up again. I would bet show up again, but – Because it will be a different writer. So I'll that, bet you're right. And they're not that into continuity at this point. Right. Um, but it would be great if they did or if he even just made a reference to it being his second plane or something mm-hmm. or his new plane. Any sentence will do. Lots of action here, though, on these yeah. on these pages with him blowing up the dirigible, and mm-hmm. I like it. It's a very cool explosive panel. Mm-hmm. Just Two like good the explosions in this in this right, issue. just like the other one. Very good. But he kind of leaves himself a little vulnerable afterwards. <laughs> the uh, you know bat parachute just hanging there. Yeah. Wait. Well, how else was he going to get down though? Wait. Oh, Kruger. He he's parachuting down because. He parachuted out of the right out of the plane before it crashed into the dirigible, and yeah. then he sees Kruger going by in his plane, so he takes out the 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 silken cord 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and lassos the the plane wing, somehow not ripping his arm off in the process, and then climbs up the the to the wing of the plane. Yeah. And once again takes out the bad guy with his magic gas pellets. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to have someone throw a gas pellet at me to see what I'm to find out what I'm talking about, but it seems like this guy is in an open cockpit. There couldn't be better air ventilation, so <laughs> Well, just three pages earlier he made a giant cloud around a moving airplane. Yeah. So I think we can at yeah. this point assume he has some sort of special chemical that uh, It's just sticky. Yeah. <laughs> He he borrowed Peter's webbing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mixed that in with the chemical. That's what it is. And another death, another uh, death under his belt. Yes. So what? How many is that now? I've lost track. Um, I think we're up to, gosh, there was uh six, in issue five, and then we didn't have any in, no no no, six by episode four I think, and then we didn't have any in five, and then we had two more. Last episode, so this would be nine. If my nine. Is right. Oh, so yeah. he's almost a ten. I think. Cool. I'll have to check that out before we post it on the website. So. Yeah. It might be wrong. Yeah, I'm interested to see how far he gets before you know we stop counting. I guess. Yeah. Or, you know, he quits. He retires his killing ways. Right. We won't. We will never stop counting. But it also says, talking about the gas pellet, it also says Batman held his breath. Yeah. Which explains how he didn't get knocked out by the gas. So that yes. answers one of our questions. From <laughs> how long can he hold his breath? It doesn't explain the wolf pit stuff, but from, you know, two episodes ago. But uh, Maybe he held his breath then, too. I, yeah, but isn't it just going to linger? I don't know. Well, yeah. I don't know. Point. I have no idea how that stuff works. I gotta, I'm going to go buy some gas pellets and... <laughs> Me and my kids are going to go to the park, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to need a new co-host for next episode. <laughs> okay. So if you're interested, just email. Yeah. Uh, I can I can podcast from jail. It's okay. <laughs> you're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have Bruce Wayne smoking again. Every single scene this issue, Bruce Wayne is smoking. Did you yep. notice that? Yep, he's a very distinguished man. Oh. <sighs> Smoking is cool at this point. I found out, on a related note, I found out that in the, the 80s, they revealed that the Earth 2 Bruce Wayne had cancer. Yeah. So, I don't think they ever revealed what type of cancer, but I'm thinking lung cancer. Yeah, probably. He dies, doesn't he? He dies as the Batman. So, but he maybe he was dying anyway and... Yeah, that's, the that bank. was the... Inst- because, see, he had retired... The Batman had retired, and then Bruce Wayne had become commissioner of Gotham. Okay. Because Gordon was dead by this point. And then um, he comes out of retirement for one last mission and gets killed on that. And and then there's an issue – I think it's in that America versus the Justice Society okay. uh, miniseries. But I think they reveal in there that Bruce had cancer and that he would have died anyway. Okay. Even without that last mission. Yeah, I like this. Um, you know, I grew, growing up Marvel, I didn't really have Earth One, Earth Two mm-hmm. stuff, and by the time I got into DC, it was all post-crisis, okay. and it didn't matter that much. I mean, I but I understood the concept, and I, I've always liked it. Um, it doesn't really apply necessarily to what we're talking about as a concept yet, but 
it is kind of fun sometimes in the back of my head to think that this is like Earth 2 Batman. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Um, we'll but, get there someday. Uh, someday. Uh, overall, though, I like this story. I yeah. thought it had lots of action, and it was goofy in parts, but not well, as not as uh, senseless as the last couple issues. Exactly. Comparing it to the Monk right. story, pretty much anything was going to be better. I think I would have liked to see more backstory on Kruger. He seems like he could be an interesting villain. Uh, if, yeah. if he was just expanded on, maybe. He's kind of the first insane villain. I guess we kind of talked about that already. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just a different type of villain than we've seen before, like the monk was. Yeah. Uh, well, even the monk was terrible. But They've consistently had no backstories for any villain, so. Right. Or the hero until this issue. Right. And I'm kind of glad that they didn't dedicate, you know, all 12 pages to his origin which you would probably do, you know, today, the entire issue. Oh yeah. Or, or the six, six or twelve issues, yeah. Right, right. They just kept it these two. It, these two pages are just so perfect that. Right. I would have liked to seen them tied into the story somehow, either as a flashback, on say starting on page three of the story. Yeah. Or because the way it is, it's just we we get the splash panel, and then the origin, and then they start the story. Yeah. So it's not really. Yeah. Well, and if they had tied it in, then maybe it wouldn't work as a standalone two pages. Who knows? Well, that's a good point too. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only the only thing is that that opening panel that ties into the story, and they they swap that out eventually to right to next issue's title page or title panel. So there's been three reprints for this story as a whole. Um, the origin part has been reprinted over and over and over. And I didn't list all those, but the the actual story itself was in Batman from the 30s to the 70s hardcover, Batman Archives Volume One, and Batman Chronicles Volume One. So one more than usual. Yeah, because it was in that, and probably really the only reason it was in that 30s to the 70s is because of the origin. I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. Because probably. it's not that much of a standout story, otherwise. So. No, other than the uh, the secret panel, it doesn't really add anything to to his, you know, mythology that I can think of. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. So, other stories in this issue. We have a one-page piece called Odds and Ends, which was, uh, uh, you know, humor by, uh, possibly by Sheldon Maldoff. I'm not sure if the Grand Comic Database was quite convinced of that, but that's what they gave it credit for. Uh, there's a six-page Bart Regan spy story called Thoria Invades Luxon by Jerry Siegel and Mark Bailey. There's Buck Marshall, Range Detective, for all you fans, six pages, called Mine of Mystery by Homer Fleming. There's a six-page Larry Steele, Private Detective story, that has no title, and it's by 
Ken Ernst. It's the final Larry Steele story, too. Yep. So long, Larry Steele. So is this the first strip we've seen drop out since Batman debuted? Or has there been another one that I'm forgetting? Um, I think there was some shifting around as we've been going, but I don't think any... Okay. Oh, no, no. Fu Manchu. Oh, Crimson Avenger. And oh, and Fu Manchu. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although Crimson Avenger comes back. Yeah, see, Larry yeah. Steele wasn't here when we first started, and then he showed up. Oh, okay. And well, he didn't last very again. long, did he? No. Well, I think he was here. I think he was in Detective before oh, Batman okay. came along. Okay. So he's been popping in and out, and now he's gone for good. Okay. Um, then we have a two-page text story called Coffee-Colored Diamonds by Frank Thomas. And then we have Speed Saunders, Ace Investigator, six pages called The Northwoods Mystery by Fred Gardiner. And we have Cosmo, Phantom of Disguise, six pages. It's called The Sewer Robberies, and I don't think he disguised himself. If he did, he looked exactly like he normally does. So He disguised himself as himself? He probably just changed his suit color or something. <laughs> Uh, okay, then we got six pages of Bruce Nelson by Tom Hickey called The White Goddess, Part 1. We have a one-page Crime Never Pays um, piece that seems to be in every detective comic issue uh, by Vin Sullivan. Then we have only ten pages for poor Slam Bradley, mm-hmm. who's just getting knocked out by Batman here. Um, he, he used to be the top dog with 13 pages, now he's down to ten. It's called Shorty Swallows a Diamond, and it's by Jerry Siegel and Mark Bailey. No more... um, Joe Schuster? Joe Schuster, yes. (laughs) Thank you. You know that guy. (sighs) And uh, no cool punch or t-shirt slogan either. That was really lame. That's really lame. All right. Well, other books that were out around this time. Uh, Pretty much another boring month. Uh, we had More Fun Comics number 49. Uh, we had Adventure Comics number 44. And that's got a Sandman story in it where he battles a criminal known as The Face. I don't know anything about the villain, but it was a uh, sounded like a very uh, Batman or Dick Tracy type of villain. He probably has a face. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe that's, the, maybe that's the trick. He doesn't have a face. Yeah. And then we had All-American Comics number 9 and... Action Comics number 19, where Superman faces the Ultra Humanite again. Again. Again, yeah. And outside of DC, we had Blue Ribbon Comics number one, which was the first comic from MLJ, which is a precursor to Archie Comics. And Marvel had two comics out this month Marvel Comics, excuse me, Marvel Mystery Comics number two, renamed from Marvel Comics, and Daring Mystery Comics number one, which. Unless I'm wrong, I think that's – it had a story in it called The Fiery Mask, which I think was Joe Simon's first comic book work. And Mike might be able to tell more about that. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, don't put me on the spot. Um, okay. I want to say no. Okay. If it's not his first, it's one of his earliest. Cause Cause certainly I, his first for I think he did Timely stuff, slash Marvel. I think he did stuff before Timely. Okay. Was there something called Funnies, Inc.? Or was that for comic strips? I think that was just comic strips. Okay, so maybe that was his first then. I don't know. But still, so, definitely one of his earliest, if it's not his very first. So. Yeah. And it's Marvel, so Joe Simon Marvel. and Marvel. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, you got anything else for this? 
I think that does it. Historic episode. I'm fine. I'm I'm so happy to know why Batman fights crime and how he came to be. Yep. Yeah, yeah. it's really well, bugging me. <laughs> well, we want to thank everybody for listening once more. Next episode, we're going to be looking at Batman in November 1939, which is just one comic, Detective Comics number 34. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to give us any feedback or criticism or corrections on things we probably screwed up in the episode, you can email <laughs> us at podcast at batmanlegends.com. There's also the website, batmanlegends.com, where you can see show notes and images and links and stuff that we talked about uh, in this and all episodes. Uh, you can also find the link to the Facebook page there, as well as the Twitter account. And if you like either one of those, you can get updates when we post them, as far as as well as some other interesting things from time to time. Uh, there's also the RSS feed, if you want to subscribe that way, or you can subscribe via iTunes. If you subscribe via iTunes, we welcome any and all iTunes reviews. Um, as of this recording, there's not been any iTunes reviews yet, so... You can be the first. Uh, We also invite you to check out our partner, uh, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond, your site for all Batman news in non-podcast form. And the website for that is batmanytb.com. We also invite you to check out my other show, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, at www.greatcrypton.com, where I've been going through Superman's earliest stories, similar to how we do here, except I'm all by myself there. So... um, So we'll see you next time. See you next week. Batman created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and copyright DC Comics.